This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 393, kicking it old school. You can't just say, well, I lost my job. I can't do this. I, I just I ain't going to rent no more. Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? Now, you may have families move in together, but they've got to live somewhere. Some, they're going to be paying rent to somebody or owning their own house. And another thing I always like to tell people when you're looking at property, always remember, liars can number, but numbers don't lie. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. David, good to see you again. Good to see you too. This was an absolute blast. This is going to go down as I yeah. think one of the most fun podcasts we've done in a while. <laughs> uh, it was. We just got finished recording with a Mr. Rick is it Rick Jarman. Uh, Rick is old school when it comes to real estate. I don't mean that in in a bad way. Uh, he, that's actually his Instagram handle, Real Estate Old School. But he is a uh, he's been in this game longer than I've been alive, uh, significantly longer than I've been alive. And he's just a character. He just knows so much. He's had so many experiences, so much knowledge with and just funny stories. You guys are going to love this show with Rick from down in Alabama. So uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we get to Rick and being a rental property owner and all the fun things that go with that, let's get to today's quick Quick. tip. You know what, David? I'm going to let you take today's quick tip. I I didn't prepare one. You would would do that right now. (laughs) I got a good quick tip for our listeners today. Today's quick tip is when you listen to Rick's story, he's going to share how he built over 100 units and over $8 million in net worth doing the same boring thing over and over and over. And Rick shared that he did not worry about the fears more than what they were warranted. He would actually go out there and look at, is this worst case scenario something likely to happen? Or all my house is going to go vacant at the same time. And there's a lot of value to get out of one, not overthinking things. When you're afraid, it's okay to be afraid, but ask, is it warranted? Is it based on actual reasonable things that could happen? And two, don't get bored doing the same thing all the time. Success comes from the same repeated, sometimes boring efforts. That's how you get good at something. So don't be afraid to be boring. Yeah, that's so good. Hey, you know, at one point that we never made during the show, but I'll make it now. And this will make more sense later when you're listening. But we talk about how like a lot of real estate success is just doing the right things over and over and over until you're good at it. If you are somebody who gets prone to getting bored, which I know I am and David, you are as well. What we found is what works really well is find somebody else. Once you master it, find somebody else to do that job for you, because then the, the same boring tactics over and over and over, they don't not boring because you don't have to do them anymore get somebody else to do them. And then you just make sure that they're doing them over and over and over. And that's what a job really is, right? If you really think about mm-hmm. it, all jobs are doing the same boring thing over and over and over because somebody else didn't want to do that anymore. Now yep. that's what you're doing. So it's time <laughs> to step up and be the leader eventually and do that. So anyway, there you go. I just put that together. That's right really there. good. I like yeah. that. That's a good quote. All jobs are what somebody else didn't want to do. And now yep. you're doing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores, not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent to Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs in outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. 
Rent-A-Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on bigger pockets. You invest, Rent-A-Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. I think it's time to jump into this thing. David, you ready? Anything you want to add before we go in? Okay. Not at all. This is a great show. Let's bring Rick in. All right, here we go. All right, Rick, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. It's been a long time coming. And I'm glad to be here. I've really been looking forward to it. I sure I have. Well, awesome. Because, you know, one of the reasons I was excited to get you on is because on Instagram, like you're, 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 you know, pretty active on Instagram uh, for a, uh, you're, you're a 41 year old guy, I think is what you said. And so, <laughs> and so you have a fantastic Instagram with tons of good advice. It's real estate old school is, is your handle there. Very entertaining, very just good, solid advice on rental properties and what it really takes to be a successful owner. So that's what we're going to dive in today. What does it actually take to be a successful real estate investor with rental properties? So before you had a hundred plus, you know, houses and all that crazy world we're going to get to, How'd you get into real estate? Like, how'd this thing start? Well, quick story on it. Right when I came out of high school, I was working in a cabinet shop. I, the summer before I graduated high school, I knew I uh, worked doing construction, building houses, and I found what I love, what I wanted to do. And basically, that's all I've done my entire life is in the construction and, you know, maintenance and flipping and, re, you know, remodeling, just everything. But when I was putting my wife through college, I was keeping up rental property for other people. I worked for 10 years in maintenance at the University of Alabama from 1974 to 84 and was doing my thing on the side, you know. And so I got to noticing, you know, working 
on these people's apartments and houses. There's something to this, so it kind of piqued my interest. And so I read an article, I'm going to date myself, in Reader's Digest. It was called Beating Inflation with Real Estate. And this is late 1980, early, well, what in 81. And my mother had asked me, she said, what would you like for Christmas? Well, I had, you know, I was married, two kids, and you know how it is, and yeah, working yeah. my job and side jobs. I said, well, there's three books that were listed in this article I read, and I would love to get those three books. And that's what I did. And that was the first books I ever read on real estate. And I actually keep them in my bedroom between a couple bookends where I can look at them every day. That's awesome. What, what were the books? I don't know. One of them's name was... It was by William Nickerson. He's mm. probably the granddaddy of all the real estate folks. I even yep. got to meet him one time. Oh, nice. It was how I turned a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars into a million. Yep. And later on, they renamed it to five million. And one of them was Albert J. Lowry, um, how to become financially independent, you know, through real estate. And the other one was Robert G. Allen, nothing down. Mm. And nice. they all came out classics. around 1980. The issues I bought. Nice, yeah, classics. Yeah, that is that is old school real estate books. That's, that's it, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And all later right. on, I got into Mark Harrison. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I even actually the only seminar I ever went to in my life was in the early 90s in Orlando, Florida. He put on, but he was real big for a while. He'd have people like Brian Tracy and all these guys come. You know, they were all young then. Yeah, yeah, they uh. Yeah, Brian Tracy's not not young anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> so neither. Yeah. So, so what happened? What happened next? Wait, where where'd you go? You you decided, okay, I got these three books. I'm gonna take some action. What'd you do? Yeah. Well, I ended up buying my first rental house in 1981. I was working with a guy that was going through a divorce, and he had a house that he was gonna sell to me for ten thousand dollars. It was worth about twenty at the time. The two bedroom, one bath. And I didn't have any money, you know. I'm just, you know, like I said, just paying for my wife's schooling and, you know, life things. So I went to my credit union and I told them about the house. And they told me if I could get the money for the repairs and pay for the closing costs, they'd finance it for me. So at that time, this, like I said, this was 81. I had a 1979 Ford Ranger XLT truck that was nice. I'm talking about a good-looking truck. Well, I sold my truck, got my equity out of it. I went and found an old 1969 Plymouth station wagon that the tailgate would fold down like a truck. I knew I could work out of it and got it for $600. It had a loan value of $1,200, so I borrowed an extra $600 and got the money to fix the house up, and that was my first rental. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I, like, here's what I love about that. I mean, it's, it just shows, like, if you really, like, it's that old quote, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. Right. I, I think Jim right. Rohn. I think Jim Rohn says that. David Green, not me. And <laughs> uh, if you really want it, you'll find it. Like you figured out a way. And, and the same thing applies today. I mean, maybe like is there a car you have to sell, or is there a some other way you got to sacrifice over time? You got to work to be able to get that first deal. But you can't get wealthy if you don't get the first deal, like the real it's estate. How bad you want it? Mm, how bad you want it? All right. So what came next? Well, bought my second house. I got a hundred percent owner financing. And I kind of got broke in early in this game. My second house, I had a fire and they wanted to total it. I found out, you know, back then you didn't have all the things you have now, checking credit and all that. You you know, they fill out application, they look good, and they got the first month's rent and deposit. So, and I was so green. I was green as a cucumber, man. I didn't even know the 
check the past references or whatever. So I rented this lady. And at the time, my wife had had some surgery and I'd been working and seeing her at the hospital and got home, got in bed. And I get a call from the neighbor next door. And uh, cause it's for cell phones, of course. And she's telling me, mister, if you want to see your house before it burns down, you better get down here fast. I mean, I, and I'm trying to get awake, you know, and I said, do what, do what? Of course I had two houses. So I wasn't sure which one, you know, uh-huh. it's 50, 50 of which one it could have been. And she told me and come to find out this, this guy's kind of get drunk and he'd like to beat on his wife a little bit. And she tried to burn him up. You know, that's what I heard. I didn't share uh-huh. that with anybody at the time. You know, I just, went on and they wanted to total it. And I said, well, I think I can fix it. So I had a friend of mine had contracted license and he put a bid in for me and I did all the work and got it going. You know, I was come from that working background. Wow. Okay. So you got started with a little bit of a, uh, a hot beginning. Well, it actually started out worse than that. Right before I got out of high school, I was engaged to be married. My wife and I've been married 47 years and, uh, so I just turned 18, but I I paid down on a trailer, bought a piece of land, owner financing, five, yeah, 500 down, and he financed it. And so I'd put a septic tank in and water meter. I'd been working all my life, you know. So anyway, we're having graduation practice, you know. That's, you know, I guess they still do that, you know, we practice. So they were supposed to deliver my trailer, so... You know, we're waiting and waiting and hadn't got there yet. So me and a buddy of mine rode out to the main highway to see where it was, if we could see it. And we saw it all right. It was scattered all up and down the highway. An 18-wheeler had hit it when it was turning and just totaled it. You know, and I'm thinking, man, have I still got to pay for this thing? Because I'm just 18, you know. And yeah. And and so they said, oh, don't worry, we'll have you another one in two weeks. It was like two months. So we had to spend the first couple of months of marriage living with my parents. So my real estate career started off rough. <laughs> Man. I'm curious, when you were getting started, a lot of people today assume this is a scary time to get into real estate. But my assumption would be everyone's always thought this is a scary time to get into real estate. And we don't get to talk to people very often and have as many units as you do and have done it as long and have seen the highs and the lows. Can you tell me what your mindset was like back then when you were getting started as far as your fears, concerns, emotions? Well, you know, I came up real poor. I'll give you a little history. My dad was a World War II veteran. He had a complete mental breakdown when I was three years old. And for about nine months to a year, we were homeless. My brother went and lived with one family. My mother and I lived with another family or her sister. And so we grew up working, had to work, you know. So everything was one of those deals where it couldn't, you know, everything just looked up. You know, I always had the attitude, you know, my mother raised us. We're good as anybody else. Everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time and just to work hard. And so I grew up working. So the opportunity to me was always to better myself. I, mm-hmm. I like to tell people, you know, that fear, you can take that fear and you can let it cripple you or you can turn it into a motivator. And for me, my fear was I didn't want to be poor. You know, my parents were poor. My grandparents were. I wasn't going to be poor. So, so, so what about the fear of losing money? Well, I, I just didn't, I didn't have that, I, I guess, because, you know, when I, when I was working at the university before I left, I, I'd worked at 10 years when I left. I went in business for myself. I just turned 29, built my first house. 
And when I acquired about four or five houses, some of the guys said, what you going to do if they all get empty at one time? I mean, I, it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, so, you know, so people were asking that question back then. Oh too. yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, right. what are you going to do? And I'm thinking, yeah. well, how often did you get asked about toilets? <laughs> yeah. Was that around for a long time? Also? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brandon and I joke about that because everybody wants to know about like clogged toilets, but that's not really the problem landlords get the most often. Well, I was doing a live Wednesday night with a friend of mine that lives in California that I've met on here, and we got to where we do a live every Wednesday night. And right there in the middle of it, I forgot to cut my phone off, and the phone rings. And the way we work it, I'm on call one week, my son's on call, then my office manager. Mm. We had a main sewer line stopped up, and I said, y'all hold on, man. I got to handle this, you know, because they would need some direction from me. Because we do self-manage. We manage our stuff also. Yeah. So tell me, where what's your portfolio at now? We're at about 118 houses right now. In 2011, Tuscaloosa, where I live, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, had a bad tornado, and I lost 26 houses totaled in a commercial building. Wow. So it took a little while to regroup, you know. 26 houses in a tornado, like that's total. Wow. So I had damaged probably 70 more, you know, so. What? So insurance takes care of that or did you yeah, lose yeah. a lot of money? Did it? Okay. It luckily, you know, but it just, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, yeah. it's, it was a total close to three years getting squared away completely with them. Yeah. yeah but wow. it's, uh, so, I, you know, if you think things aren't going to happen in this business, you're wrong. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that. I uh, I was reminded of a Tony Robbins quote, and I'm going to give Tony credit for it because only one of us on the show uh, can <laughs> quotes and get away with it. Where, uh, I, so I've got like quite a few houses in escrow right now on the real estate team, which means every day somebody's unhappy with something. When you do enough yeah. volume, you're going to end up having problems. And Tony Robbins was saying he had to come to grips with the fact that with as many businesses as he has, several hundred employees all around the world, somebody somewhere is unhappy. There's some fire that has to be put out. And when you're living a small life, you can really avoid unhappy people or things going wrong. When you want to live a big life or you set big goals, part of that is just accepting. If I have a hundred houses, five to 10 of them at any given time are going to have something going wrong, maybe more. And you can't let that negative emotion stop you from pushing forward or discourage you from building up to be bigger or whatever you're doing. Was there a point, Rick, where you had a similar experience that you just had to say, hey, stuff goes wrong. You got to work with it. Well, you know, I guess as you're growing, you kind of, it, it was an everyday thing for me, this work. For years, I did my own maintenance when I was, you know, younger. But uh, you're growing and your houses and the numbers are growing. And when you reach a point, like I have a full-time maintenance man, my son's worked in the business with me for 20 years now. You know, my maintenance man's been with me about 14 years. I have a sales lady that's been with me for 16, office manager for 10. So it's just, you know, it just just gets kind of gets to be day day to day life for you. And that mm -hmm. was one thing when I first got on Instagram, it kind of helped me. It made me go back and rethink why I did certain things or cause you just, it gets to be your job and it's what you do. And, and of course I love it today as much as the day I started people, their last things, you know, and you think first, that's kind of silly in a way, but then you realize they have no, nothing to compare it to. And so for me, learning all this uh, YouTube stuff and Instagram, go on YouTube and learn that, I can see that as people when they're learning the real estate, you know, where mm -hmm. I stayed. I remember the first thumbnail I made, I stayed up to one o'clock in the morning doing <laughs> it. And I was so proud of myself. And I told him, I said, now, y'all may think that's funny in one of my videos. I said, but I can build you a house from scratch. You know, I can sell it. I'm a real estate broker. And 
I can do all these things, but I didn't know how to make a thumbnail, you yeah. know? So it's, it, there's such a lesson in that <laughs> when you do something new, how long it takes you to learn a new thing. And it, it kind of speaks to Brandon's point he makes frequently where you don't want to try to build 20 bridges at one time from one place to another. Because when you're first learning how to make a bridge is where you spend all your time. Once you right. know how to do it, man, you can fly through things. And there's a quote that Gary Keller said, I believe, where he said people, something along the lines of, because I don't want to get this wrong and have Brandon jump on me because I, I made will. up a quote for someone. <laughs> <laughs> people get bored with doing what works. So they try to do, they try to make what doesn't work, work. And there's something to be said mm. where if you want to get to the point where you're at, Rick, you're kind of doing the same thing over and over and over and getting really good at doing that thing. And I think you're a great example for our listeners of, I'd really love to know, how did you avoid the bright, shiny object syndrome where you thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to go buy a hotel. I'm going to go buy a mobile home park. I'm going to go get into apartment investing. And instead you said, nope, I'm going to stick with single family houses and repeat this process. Well, you know, I did try apartments over the years and different things. You know, I'm in a, a university town. So me working in the university and maintenance and housing, what better training? You know, I worked in housing maintenance. I didn't like the students. I mean, they could tear an envelope. <laughs> it just wasn't my thing. So I, a few years ago, I sold all the student rentals I had, but I just found I, I've loved houses. I always like houses and I just found what I loved. And I just, you know, it's, it's tempting sometimes, but just like those three books I told you, I read two of those guys went busted. They got away from what they knew. You know, Robert mm -hmm. J. Lowry got into the spas and stuff. And mm. Robert Allen, I don't know what he got into. And, you know, we all, sometimes you in this business loan, if you'll go through your financial hard times, I did myself. But it's just, you know, you find what works. And when I had the student rentals, it was so much different than the time. I do a lot of Section 8. We're geared for it. We know it. In fact, Josiah Smessler called me the other day, yeah. asked me some questions, and I know he's was a big reason for me to get on here, and I appreciate him and y'all. And, uh, you know, I just, we specialize in that, and that's what we do. Yeah, this, this lesson is so important. I, I'm glad you brought it up originally, David, like that quote from Gary Keller, because that's what people do. Like, they, they get bored of what, what, works. what works. Like I said, I did I did this, uh, this webinar the other day, and I talked about how, like, real estate at its core is pretty boring. Like, you just kind of do the same thing, and there's, like, 12 steps. You just kind of do it. And, like, the first time, obviously, it's hard. And the second time, you're learning things, and it's, like, trying to make a thumbnail, right? Like, the, like a, for, for YouTube. Yep. But... Pretty soon, like you just, as long as you're consistent with it, you're going to become a multimillionaire over time. And people screw up because they just jump from some different things. It's like, imagine if, like, I'm going to use an analogy here because I'm, I'm now the analogist of the group, David. If Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan, I don't know, did they play together? I think they did. If they played together, like back in the day, we're going old school here, and they were like shooting free throws, right? And they're like, you know, I don't really like shooting free throws. I'm going to back up 10 more feet and try that shot because that's more fun. I'm going to, I'm going to try just uh, like this shot, but I'm going to do trick shots like over my head all day long. That's more fun. Like they don't, they just do like thousands and thousands of the same shot and the same play. And they run it 50 times over and over, you know, a day to make sure that they're, they're masters at that play. And Scottie Pippen knew I need to let Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan. When you start competing with the person, when you want to do what they're doing, that whole dynasty wouldn't have been there. He had to be okay with doing what we would call the boring work, which made somebody else better. And I mean, I think that's a really big factor of success that isn't talked about when we talk to successful people if we ask them, what did you not do that made you successful? I bet you they have a mm -hmm. list of stuff. Yeah. Like I didn't make this mistake. I didn't go do that. I stayed with what I knew. 
Well, yeah. you know, during the time too, I was building homes, you know, I was a home builder and I quit building homes in 2015. Of course, we didn't build probably about 10 houses since the recession. I, you know, we were able to pull back and ride it out good because I'd learned all my lessons in the late 90s. So well, I was a home builder and we remodeled and, you know, we, you know, for the recession, I had a 16 man crew. I like to tell folks, it's kind of like it is now. The tail wags the dog. You can't get anybody to, you know, you, you wait in line to get work done. Or so I wasn't, in, I'm a very impatient person. So I had my own crews. We had two framing crews, vinyl siding crew, trim crew, paint crew. So we did all that. So, you know, the rental was just kind of continuously growing as I tell folks, I lived life and did my job. And that's what, you know, I hear all the time some young, I hate to say young people are new people because my, my baby will be 39 next month. So, no, that's, uh, but the first thing they'll ask sometimes is, well, how many houses did you have to have before you could quit work? Well, that wasn't the goal. I love work. I'm, I don't ever, yeah. in fact, David, I talk about you in one of my videos. I sent it to you, but, you know, I, I'm going to tell the story in a minute. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, David, I love to work. I, I hope the day I die that I made a deal happen. If not, I at least collected some rent. You know, I, I, I love this business. Yeah. But, I, and it keeps you, it keeps you young. It keeps you moving. It keeps you like excited. And, and like so many people get older and then they just like, they're like, well, retirement, I'm going to go play some golf every day. It. Well, and, when I turned 60, I had a friend of mine. I asked him, he was at like 80 at the time. I said, why do you keep doing it? He says, well, and I knew the answer because I knew what I told myself. He says, well, I enjoy buying them. I love fixing them up. And he says, and I like the money. And I, you know, that's, that's <laughs> it. You know, that's, uh, you know, I tell people, your mind doesn't change when you, you know, you hear people say, man, I'm going to work and do hard when I hit 40. I'm yeah. quitting, you know. You know, you're not going to work that hard and build what you got and just be yeah. willing to walk away from it if you're a true entrepreneur. I want to ask you, Rick, how the heck are you getting financing on 100 houses? Because we get a lot of questions from people that haven't even bought a house yet, and they're worried about like, what they're going to do, do get, when they get yeah. 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's just get that out of the way so they can go get their first house and not worry okay. about it. Okay. Well, it starts out, you know, I like local banks. And when I first started, I used credit unions, you know, credit unions to do up to four or five. But I have several local banks I deal. I have one loan that started out with 56 houses on it. I'll give Ooh. you the numbers. Uh, I paid five hundred thousand down on it. They financed a million five fifty. It's paid down now to less than seven hundred thousand, and just a lot of those houses are worth one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy thousand. And my portfolio of real estate's over ten million. I probably owe less than two million. And like I said, it was just kind of my side gig, you know, as I'm working and doing my stuff. So it's. I was trying to tell my wife the other day. I said, "Now you realize in about five years." you're going to get a $12,000 a month raise and, and it's just going over a head, you know, but what I decided I'd do is like I said, there's right now on that particular loan, there's 46 houses in that one loan. It's with one local bank. I'm wow. going to refinance that's less than 700,000 started over. I always do 15 year loans started over at 15 years and the payment will go from 12,000 a month down to about 5,000. So I get a $7,000 a month plus raise and that's just how, but yeah, it's just different banks. You go to them and as you be, you know, it's the numbers, you pay your bills on time and keep your property up and you, you just keep those inroads with the banks. I don't know yeah. if that answered your question or not, but. No, I think you, you definitely did. I mean, they're, 
I, I hear people say all the time, you can only have 10 houses uh -huh. with one. Yep. That. No, that's not so. I mean, yeah, that's not this true. loan I got started out is 56 houses. Hey, why, why 15 year mortgages? You know, when I started out, that was, uh, that was how you did it. And, uh, the banks, you know, that's about all they'd amortize them over for commercial loans, you know, the banks and your credit unions, if it was in-house loan, which that's what that would have been was a 15 year loan. So I just started out doing them that way and just kind of stuck with it. And I've got a video where I, I show the difference in the payments on the 15 and the 30 year. And if you're getting a deal up front and you're not counting on all that money, just what do you think about it? I mean, like, how old are you, Brandon? Just turned 35 yesterday. He's just a baby. A okay. Baby. Well, so if you did a loan today, you'd be 65 when it's paid for. Yeah. If you do it on 15 years, look how many more years you're enjoying the money. And, you know, it, it, it may make a hundred, $200 a month difference, but look at all the interest you save also. Yeah. Hey, David, what do you think on that? I mean, like you're as an agent and also a lender, 15 versus 30, what do you typically do? And where would somebody maybe want to do 30 over 15 or 15 over 30? What do you think? God, this is such a good question because they both have their merits. I'm looking at getting another house for myself. I'm going to house hack. And I'm going over the same question. Do I want the better rate at 15 years, which you do save a lot in interest over the life of loan, 100%. But when interest rates are this low, that isn't quite as impactful as when they're much higher. I'm sure Rick could tell us stories of what he's seen interest rates over the years. Sub 3% is not very common. I don't know if we've ever had them low like this. So then there's a part of me that says, well, if I get a chance to get 30 years at 2.8 or 2.9%, then that's what I'm going to do. And we've seen, we got a lot of our clients that we're doing, we can get them there. So what, one of the things I think about is what's your strategy. So there's, Brandon, you and I have talked about this. There's a strategy where you buy a house, you put it on a 15-year note. Then next year, you buy another house, you put it on a 15-year note. And you do that every year. And 15 years later, your first house is paid off. You yeah. refinance it tax-free because you don't have to pay any taxes on a refi. You live off yep. of that money for the year. And then next year, your second house ends up paying itself Pay off. off. And, and then you live off. on that money. And you just keep doing that. And by the by the time the last house has been paid down and refied, you're back to the first refi that you did. It. You never work again, right? You just yep. live off of that. So I really like that strategy when it comes to the 15-year the notes. But if it was just as pure as do I want to go 15 or 30? I like the 30 right now because rates are really low. I like the 15 more when rates are higher. Yeah. You know, the way, the way that I look at it is if your ultimate goal is to get out of your job as fast as possible and get financial like independence, like level one, like I can pay my bills, a 15 year mortgage costs more, right? Like you said, Rick, a couple hundred dollars a month more, maybe. Okay. So maybe if you're all, like, if you just need money right now and you got to get out of your job, I'd probably go for a 30. Like when I got started, I was going for a 30. To, like for that same reason, you wouldn't want to buy a house for cash. You wouldn't want to like, you want you use much debt as possible. Like all those reasons make sense if your goal is to just be aggressive and get out of your job. Later on, though, your goals might change. Paying off a bunch of houses sounds like a really awesome thing to me because my goals change. I want more security. So fifteen-year mortgages now sound a whole lot better, and so I can withstand the the wait a little bit. You agree with that, Rick? Oh yeah, I mean, and, and like like David say said, usually the rates aren't like this, and so you're getting a better rate. Yeah. For a 15 year mortgage. And if you found a deal, it all works out. But yeah, like you were talking about, David, I can remember because, like I said, I'm a real estate broker also. And of course, I mainly just would sell my stuff over the years, but I had agents, whatever, sell my stuff. I can remember, though, back in the 90s, that 11 three quarter fix was the best we could get people. Wow. And it was a bond issue, and they camped out all night long to get this federal bond issue. Isn't that something? 
but 12% adjustable was the best they could get at that time. And these people camped out to get 11 and three quarter fixed. Buying money. <laughs> and people yeah. were still selling houses, buying houses and making a living. Yep. It's really important to remember that, that we oftentimes fall victim to recency bias, where we're looking at everything around us and seeing this is how things are. This is how they're supposed to be. But it wasn't always that way. And w- what I really like about your story is I'm sure uh, along this entire journey, there was never a really good time to buy. There was always something that could have come up that said, you know what, now is not the time I should wait. That voice never goes away. But I would say in my lifetime, the best that I ever saw was 2009, 2010. Looking back, we would all say, you should have bought everything you could get. But Rick, you remember that. It wasn't a lot of people saying, go buy real estate right now. It was batting the hatches, duck and cover. Who knows what's coming? The apocalypse is on the way. Don't buy anything. So there's always a reason that you're going to have to not buy real estate. But like you said in the beginning, that comment you made about inflation, that's so powerful. That's why you want to build wealth the boring way, just doing boring stuff with real estate because inflation takes you so far, both in increased rents and increased uh, values. That's right. In fact, like I always keep referring to my videos, but I've got one on about anything you want to talk about. <laughs> I've got one just about recessions where I name I, since I've been out of high school, I've been through six recessions counting this one. Now, the first one was a gas embargo when I right when I come out of high school, you know, it lasted about a year and a half. The recession, you'd be getting gas lines, hope you had gas go to work. And then the next one, by the next five, I was in business, not for myself full time probably four of them since I've been in business for myself full time. And there's always them, but nothing, nothing was like 2008. Now, if you were a home builder, real estate agent, it was tough. I mean, my agent's been with me, like I said, 16 years. She had to go to work part time as a dental assistant. I mean, it was tough. I was fortunate enough to have my rentals to live on because like I said, up to the recession, my whole career, I built approximately 500 houses. But since the recession, I probably only built 10. Of course, we were dealing with the tornado right after the recession ended, mm-hmm. you know, in 2011. But a lot of people that were in the business had to sell off their stuff. Like I said, I learned these hard lessons in the late 90s. So I was able to pull back, do what I needed to do, just live off my rentals. We actually opened up an interior and antique shop. So my son and his wife would have something to do because he worked with me because we wasn't building. Because my rentals could take care of me, but at that time, they couldn't take care of everybody. But so I tell people now, you know, since the Great Recession, and this sounds terrible, but a blind person could could do this business. I mean, it's just been going up, up, and up. But what happened? You had people to come in. They were able to buy stuff in 2010, 11, that the people lost during 2008 and 9. So... You know, they were, they wasn't geniuses. They just able to get good deals. See the people that were losing it, couldn't borrow money. Mm -hmm. You know, they were fighting battles and the banks quit loaning. Now me, I was, I had some private money lenders and I was able to increase my net worth by 2 million right after the recession. Cause I bought stuff I knew I wouldn't keep that didn't fit my criteria, but I knew I could sell it when things picked up, you know, it all worked out. But it was tough. I mean, you know, here in my town, they were probably just a handful of us that didn't go out of business. Mm. That was builders. In fact, 2009, I was president of our local home builder association. Worst time you could be president. Yeah. I mean, when we were having our awards banquet, I told them, look around the room. We have about 300 something builders and, and associates at that time, all 400. There wasn't a banker one in there, except one. And he was the secretary, you know, of the association. 
or the bookkeeper, whatever they call it. I said, the bankers, well, they were scared to come. It was terrible. Yeah. People don't know how bad it was. So what we're going through now is so different. It's bad, the health stuff, but the banking-wise, there's so many things that are, the banks are being, you know, the government's helping. You didn't have none of that in 2008. It was just, they just shut the doors and banks were in damage control. So what do you say to people right now who are listening to this show going, ah, you know, the recession might be coming again. I'm freaked out. The economy's in limbo right now. I don't know what's going to happen. I just want to sit out. Should I sit out? What do you say to those people right now that are just worried about the economy? I have a a philosophy I tell people. I said, people are going to either rent or buy or live under the bridge. Only so many can live under that bridge. (laughs) So just because the market gets bad and people can't sell or buy, you know, they got to live somewhere. Real estate never goes out of style. You, that demand for housing has always been there. It's always going to be. You can't just say, well, I lost my job. I can't do this. I, I just I ain't going to rent no more. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? Now, you may have families move in together, but they've got to live somewhere. Some, they're going to be paying rent to somebody mm-hmm. or owning their own house. And another thing I always like to tell people when you're looking at property, I always remember, Liars can number, but numbers don't lie. <laughs> them two things right there get you. That's that's, that's, uh, that's your thought. You, you know, it's, you just got to keep going. I mean, you can't. There's opportunity in every situation, just like there's going to be opportunities after this one. What do you think about advice for helping people find the right tenants? You know, I'm old school, of course. So, you know, I don't pay any attention to the Beacon score or the FICA score that I hear people talk about. I'm hooked up with one of the credit bureaus. We we do the credit checks right there in our office. But you can still get what I call old school credit report. Where you, all you do, it shows basically the same thing, but it doesn't even talk about their score like their Beacon score. You can look and you can see, you know, okay, are they paying the water bill, the power bill, the gas bill? I don't care if my tenants have medical bills. A lot of people don't have insurance, you know. If they have student loans, they're not paying. That doesn't bother me. I checked the past two landlords. You know, you always want to check two of them because the one they're at now maybe wanting to get rid of them. Yep. They're a good tenant. Yep. So if they do that and they pay the utilities, and sometimes I don't even care if they own the cell phones because sometimes I hate paying mine. You know what I mean? So if they're doing those things, more likely they're going to pay you. You know, that's, uh, and, you know, I hear people got, I don't take anybody with a beacon score or, I mean, uh, yeah, whatever, FICA score under 700, whatever. I'm thinking you're cutting your own folks. You know, there's good people out there that don't have high scores to pay the bills. Yeah. How about you, Brandon? What have you noticed as far as just advice you can give to people that are looking to scale and they want to make sure they, when they're self-managing? Like uh, how to find tenants, you mean, or just how in to, general? How to avoid the wrong tenant. Mm. I think... So here's what I do, and, I, and I'm curious, Rick, of, of like, do you agree with this? I mean, basically, I look at real estate like a funnel, right? So uh, everything's a funnel in my life. No, but like, basically, if I'm having trouble finding a good tenant, whether I'm just not getting any apply, I look at the problem. Did I either not do a good enough job advertising? Did I get it out there, right? If people don't know about your listing, they're not going to call, right? And then if I'm still having problems, that means is my unit up to snuff? Is it better than the average or is it about like the average? So I look at that. I look at, you know, am I, am I charging the right rent? Am I at or below or at least somewhere around like where it should be? And if not, I'm going to fix one of those things. I have never, ever, ever, ever had a problem finding a tenant ever in my entire career. I never had a problem. I've never had a vacancy more than a month or two. Now I've only been doing this for 14 years versus, 
you know, Ricky been doing this a lot longer, but I don't have problems with that because people always need to rent. Doesn't matter the market. They always need to rent. So I just need to make sure that I'm better than other people in quality or in price or in advertising, marketing, one of those three things. And then additionally, uh, I am really big on defining my criteria ahead of time. What makes a good tenant? What doesn't make a good tenant? So like, I don't want somebody who's murdered somebody. I want somebody who has a job. I want that job to be at least for six months. I have like these criteria, right? And then I do the same thing Rick does. I check, we check the the last two landlords. We want to make sure they've paid their rent on time that the land, like they don't have any horror stories. And then I put my criteria out there. I get a lot of marketing and I've never had an issue getting tenants. I tell you something else we do because we do manage our stuff and everything I have is right here in Tuscaloosa Northport. So I tell people, I like to use contractors that do the work they sell. But you know, when you're interviewing a contractor, just kind of look over at his truck and too, if he takes pride in all those things, he's going to take pride in his work. He comes driving up no raggedy truck, gets out with it. First of all, be sure they have license, insurance, and workman's comp, if he doesn't have all those things, or she, and they give you a bid, it may be cheaper, but what makes you think you gotta, you're got you going to get them back? Because that's something I hear all the time. People say, my contractor screwed me. Now you screwed yourself. Mm-hmm. I've been a contractor since the 70s. You know, it's hard to compete with the truth against a lie, because a lot of them will lie. But yep. you've got to pick them and check them out. Now, I got off the subject there. I apologize. No, I think that's a great point, though. The contractor didn't screw you over. You screw, every time I've been screwed over by a contractor, I every single solitary time, I it was my fault. Like it's always my fault with the contractor. I know it. It's something I did wrong. Same I didn't way check something. Made with subs. Yep. Yep. You didn't check something. You didn't. You didn't check their license, bond, insurance. You didn't set up the payment schedule right. You didn't manage them correctly. Yeah. People need to stop the blame game and just admit that they didn't do something right. I will say this: if it's okay for me to talk, it may have been uh, please. People asking, "What are y'all doing different?" During the pandemic, you know, so I had been looking probably six months ago or longer to about getting where people could go online and fill out and do fill everything and do all this stuff, you know, because we don't have all that. We use a QuickBooks Pro. That's our, that's our property management stuff we do through there. I told them the only thing we're doing different than this, we were th- before they found out the touch and stuff didn't spread it. I said, we was leaving the front door open and all they had to do was walk <laughs> in and pay the money. And I, if I had him and didn't want to, you know, come to the office, I'd go collect the money, but I was going to get my money. Got to get the money. We just put someone under contract uh, last night in San Jose. And he was asking me like, hey, do you think that, that we're going to have some trouble renting in the neighborhood? It's like, well, you know, one thing you can do is you can put a little ad on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and see how many people apply for it. And in the 12 hours from the time he put it up till the next time we talked, he said, I had to turn it off. I had 52 notifications <laughs> and people were saying, can I please give you a deposit right now? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's just one of those things where the fear in your head was so loud that this person was like, I don't know if I want to buy this house. Like, what if that what if was very, very loud and it's where he didn't want to take action. And then that one little piece of advice went from, I don't know if I should do this to, oh my God, we got to get this deal today. Don't let me lose it. I'm going to get like a third more rent than I was even budgeting for. And I've just seen this happen so many times where we let those fears that are unfounded be louder than the facts that would say you should go and do it. And we can all listen to Rick talk about he's been doing this since what was 81, Rick? Is that when you got the first one? Well, I bought my first house to flip 1976. My wife and I, I was 21. We sold the mobile home. We bought the house. We fixed it up, lived in it while we was fixing it up, sold it, turned around. I, I had a first mortgage and a second mortgage. Second mortgage was almost as high as the first. 
from a man. I sold it because I didn't have any money. I mean, it's 100% finance, but it was through mortgages. So we did the labor ourselves. We sold it. Turned around. I went back to the man. I said, would you be willing to do it again? He said, you paid me the first time. Sure. So I did it. So but all three of these houses, by the third house, we'd went from a little old two-bedroom, one-bath that was built before, right after World War II to a practically brand-new three-bedroom, two-bath brick house on acre land from 700 square feet to about 2,000. And we moved like – it did all that in two years, fixed them up, moving in. And by the third house, I'd paid off the second mortgage of each time. You know, I'd sell it. By the third one, I paid the second mortgage off. Had about $8,000 left over, and I said, you know, there might be something to this. <laughs> but I had assumed a 7.5% VA loan on the third one and assumed FHA loans on the first two. See, people don't realize in the old days, back in the day, all it took to qualify to assume an FHA loan or VA loan was two things. You had to have $45 for a transfer fee. You could have no credit. It was 100% assumable. You had to have $45 for a transfer fee, or if they held a mirror on your nose, you were breathing. Those were the two qualifications. <laughs> Let's bring those back. We need those days yeah, back. I'm telling you, man, it was good days. Well, you know, even before the recession, you could still borrow. You could buy a piece of property, borrow enough money to fix it up, you know, get in at 100%. I mean, of course, all that changed after 2008. Part of that's what led to the recession, though, is we were just handing out money to anybody that could fog a mirror, right? Even earlier, I mean, we used to build houses. You could go to the bank, borrow enough to build a house, buy the right. land, pay the interest, and you could call your banker and say, look, I'm fixing to start a house. We'll just come by and sign the papers when you get time, you know. It, it, yeah. It's not like that no more, for sure. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting, from finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing or two about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with a reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. nreig.com slash bppod. 
Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount, which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise flagship fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting fundrise.com slash pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. So I see that you've moved 31 times. Were these properties that you bought with owner financing, moved in, improved it, and then moved out? It was a little bit of everything. Like I was just telling you, I had the mobile home and three houses. We would, then when I started building in 84, what I would do, I'd take trades and I'd move in the trade, sell the new house. And, and see, I've been where I'm at now for almost six years. And I lived in the house before that one, 17. So basically... You take all them years out of the picture since 1984. That's a lot of moving. My kids, would, my wife was a school teacher, so we could keep them in the same school zone. So they'd leave to go into school. And we'd be, they'd come home at eat and we'd be moved. When she'd pick them up, man, we, you know, <laughs> we got good at it, you know. And it's just you did what you had to do. I mean, you start out with no money and you, you because you're trying to buy a rental property. You're trying to borrow money to build you're trying to borrow money to buy lots so you got to keep hustling this so but it's worked out pretty good i I don't mean it as a brag but you know i I tell folks where i live now there's doctors and lawyers and we got a football coach uh coach saban lives three houses up from me the coach of university of alabama i tell my wife i said well like i said there's doctors and lawyers that live in here and a football coach and now they got a redneck yeah i'll let you in I said, we may not be the only one to start out in a mobile home, but I know I'm the only one ever worked on a garbage truck because that's what I did when I was 16 years old. Uh, uh, I love these stories. Brandon's got a similar one. He used to sleep on a couch, all seven (laughs) foot six of them, (laughs) hanging over the top, you know, while he rented out the the rooms that actually had beds to other people. There's just, you see this pattern all the time. The people that are willing to do what others are not end up getting to live that life that other people can. It's, it's, I just don't understand when people aren't willing to do what it takes. You know, when you come up poor, you got wants and things and, you know, and you're just willing to do what you got to do. But I can tell you another little story. I, I was, we used to move a lot, like I said, I, and I had been in one house for about three years and we had moved and, and I'm on the phone back when your cell phones, you know, plugged in, you know, they were plugged into your car and you know, it looked like a yeah. phone. And I'm on the phone, I pull up in the driveway and I'm talking with somebody and all of a sudden I said, I don't live here no more. I'd, I'd went to my old house. I mean, I, I just, I'd moved and didn't even, I'd forgotten though, we're just, you know, that wrapped up what was going on, moved so much. <laughs> I can't say I don't do that all the time. Just the other day I went on to a listing appointment and completely forgot the two folders I was supposed to bring. I had to go back. Shout out out there to all the assistants out there who That's keep right. guys like us and gals like us on the rails. Hey, Rick, what do you think the biggest mistakes are landlords make or property managers? I think not keeping your property up is a big one because you Mm -hmm. won't stay competitive in the market. You need to keep your property up. Getting, you know, just uh, not appreciating the tenants. You know, your tenant, you you don't have a business without them. I have tenants that been with me. I got one tenant. I bought the house 17 years ago, and she's been. She was in it when I bought it. I asked her the other day. I said, "How long have you lived here?" She said, "21 years." 
Wow. But I've got tenants been me 12, 13, 14. In fact, young man come in and paid his rent for his mama the other day. I didn't know his mama said, now, who are you? And he's like 19, and he had moved in my house when he was seven. Of course, I don't, hmm. I don't have all the contact every day. You know, I still prove every application, but I don't do that. Now, if somebody comes in and there's nobody at the counter, I definitely take the money. But if my office manager leaves, I say, put it on answer. And I, my number's not out there anywhere, David. I just don't do it. <laughs> you know, I don't talk. You know, I just, I'm at that point in life. I get, get people, you know, how on Instagram, I say, I can help you grow your business. I say, I don't want to grow it. I go back to tell them. I still buy stuff. So sometimes I tell my son, I said, we're not buying any more rentals. And it won't be a day. I said, son, come on. I got a house we're going to go look at. Yeah, that's exactly right. Even when you don't need them, when you got the knowledge and you like it and you get that hit and you know you're good at what you do, you're going to provide housing. I mean, you're obviously doing a good job of people are staying there for 19 years. It's hard not to to keep doing it. I love that point you made. If you're not going to retire at 40, because what it takes to get to where you can retire at 40, you've invested so much. You're, at minimum, you're just going to go do it in another way, whatever is rewarding to you. Well, the way I look at it, I went in business for myself full time, 1984. I just turned 29 years old, one month. I just, just had turned 29. So I basically, as far as I'm concerned, I've been doing what I wanted to do ever since then. You know? yeah. I mean, it's always been easy or whatever, but I, you know, I had to punch a clock for somebody else for like 10 years. And uh, my son, I'm for, he's fortunate. He's never had to do that. He's been in this business. He was raised in it and he's been in it full time since he graduated high school in 2000. Rick, where do you find deals at today? Where are you finding? You know, I find a lot of deals on MLS still. Because so many times, and David, I'm sure you agree with this, so many real estate agents, I tell anybody, I think it's good to get your real estate license if you want to do this business full-time and buy rental property, but you can never start thinking like a real estate salesperson. You got to always keep thinking like a investor so a lot of times there's deals out there they don't have deal across the front of a big sign because you know you got to know your market know what you're looking for mm-hmm. but but the agents are thinking selling a lot of them they just won't make that sale and you got to constantly always think about it as being an investor so i get a lot of them through that and off market too that's your reticular activating system to so the person with the hammer everything's a nail that's it. the agents have trained their brain to see listing or buyer opportunity and it's even if it is staring them in the face, they miss it. And that goes for a lot of things in life. When you get used to looking at just one goal that you have, yeah, that, that's a really good point. I like that. That you're even if you're if you're an investor and you become an agent, you got to keep reminding yourself you're still looking for deals for both yourself and your clients. When I got licensed, that's why I did it. I thought it helped me find more deals. I sold part time for a year. Mm-hmm. So I actually quit two jobs in one day when I went full time. I'd been at the university ten years. And I had been uh, selling real estate part-time a year and doing my side work also. To this day, I only sleep six hours a night. I mean, I was like four hours, six hours. You get used to it. You can't do it. But I, I come in and tell my wife one day, I'm fixing to do this business full-time. I said, I'm going to build me a house. I'd never built a house before then. And we had two babies. And, you know, she uh, she's, she's always been supportive. She's never been involved in my business, but she's always been real supportive. And that meant a lot. Yeah, that's cool, man. All right. Before we move on to uh, the next segment of the show, I'm curious, what do you need in your business right now? Like, What could help you out? What could our listeners, what kind of value could they bring you? Uh, is there anything specifically you're looking for? I just want them to go and follow me on Instagram. You know, I, I'm not, 
I retired from building, like I said, in 2015. I turned 60. And that has helped me because it's hard to pull back. You know, you want to yeah. keep it. It's, David, you asked earlier, you know, about the fears and don't take this wrong. But I came up so poor and things were so hard. You know, I got married at 18. You know, we, we were married seven years before we had children because I wanted to get a house. We were doing that. Put my wife through college, put my daughter through college. Luckily, my son's like me. He just wanted to get his carpenter certificate and come, you know. So I was always kind of fearless. You know what I mean? I didn't have that. My fear was not the fear of the unknown of the business. Like I said earlier, my fear was the fear of failure. When I was young, I'm a pretty big guy, you know, even to, you know, but when I was young, I come out of high school, I was six feet tall, 249 pounds and construction, all I did, you know, people say, what are you scared of? Well, you know, you say, I ain't scared of nothing. But in reality, I was scared of failure. And I could talk about that now, but back then I couldn't. So that was my, my go-to thing. I did not want to be a failure. And I, I became fearless, you know, cause I didn't want to be poor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that any any way bad. I mean, I'm just sharing, you know. But the thing that Instagram's helped me before I got on there, I had nobody to share anything with but my son. And yeah. when I got to doing that and people, and it's the ego thing too, you know, people like you and they like what you're doing. And, you sure. you know, I just want that to grow. I just enjoy it. I tell them I don't, I don't do a lot of the DM stuff and all that. And I'm kind of like David there. You can only get back to so many people. But uh, <laughs> I try to share it through my videos, and I, I don't. I tell them it's not one time in there I'm trying to sell anything. I just you know won't help people. But I will tell you this, David. I bought your book because I'm all the time telling folks because I've been doing. I believe in that bird method, even when I didn't know what it was called. That's been the hardest thing for me is learning all these abbreviations. <laughs> so I, I, I bought your book the other day because I've been recommended and I'm always telling people to go to bigger pockets, but to give you a good example, I mean, I literally, I've had to learn this stuff because I say, what does that mean? I had a guy that usually what I try to do when somebody starts following me, I always try to say, thank you for the follow. Well, a lot of times I guess they think it's automated or something. One guy come back and he said, because he asked me something, answered, and he said, well, I, I just didn't know. I thought you was a bot. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I find said, buddy, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, a robot. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I'm old school, boy, all this stuff. I, I mean, that's been the hardest part, like I said. But it didn't stop you from taking action. I think that's what's so cool about your story, Rick, is you have a mentality like, what do I have to lose? And because of that, you're successful. And I really wanted to highlight it for the people that feel like they have something to lose. Sometimes the fear of I can't take action because what if I lose stops you from what you could go get. And because you said I was poor, I had nothing to lose. I just went and did it. Well, now look at where you got $10 million real estate with $2 million of debt. I don't think there's anybody here who'd be mad about being in that kind of a position. It's a really good lesson for everyone. Yeah, thank you. i tell you something that is kind of the answer to what you said. You know how we're always talking about what people say to you, like what if they all get vacant and all that. My answer to people... When I went in bit when I was leaving my job, like I said, I'd been there ten years. I was vested. I took the money out though because I knew I could do more with it in real estate. But they would say, What you gonna do if you fail? Well, here's been my philosophy. You get a house, you get a job, and you get a car, you got the same thing everybody else has got. Yeah. And I've had my failures, you know. But you just got to 
you know, you either pull the cover over your head or you get up and lace your boots up and get at it. Wise words. Well, with that, let's head over to the next segment of the show. Our deal. All right, Rick, you've got a hundred and some properties or houses now, but we want to dive into one particular deal that you've done and ask you a series of questions about them. So we're going to fire a bunch of questions at you. Number one, uh, what, do you, by the way, do you have a property in mind, something we can dig into? Yeah, I, I, it's a, if it's a flip, you know, we when we sure. quit building, we we try to flip about 12 houses a year because I still have the office. And if, if it doesn't generate enough money through the sales of real estate with my agent, and uh, I still have my son's salary, my office manager, my maintenance man. So if, yep. if we don't generate enough money, it comes out of my rentals. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like that either. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so I got a what, flip, I did. Oh, I love it. So what kind of property is it? What kind of property type? This is a house? single family, which is what I do. And okay. uh, when, you want me to tell you how I got it? Nah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll ask you. Okay. Yeah. So, so next question is going to be, how did you find that deal? Okay. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good story. You know, I've got this private money lender I've been doing business with for 20 years. Now, he loves to go to state sales. I love to go to state sales. He, and I've got a video about this telling people it's a good way to find houses. Something's going on when there's a state sale. Somebody's dying, going nursing home, whatever. He called me and said, man, I was at a, a state sale today, and they're going to sell the house. I said, well, see what they'll take for it. He, and so he, he negotiates the sale. He buys it for 90000 so he's going to be the private money lender plus basically he wholesaled it to me. That's another word I, you know, I didn't know before we got on here. It was the assignment yeah. of the contract. So he, he closed on it. We turned around right back to he closed. He sold me for 95. But here's the thing. He says, I'll finance the house. I'll loan you 30,000 to fix it up with. And what he does, you got two years, to make it happen. I said, that's a deal. So I bought it for 95,000. I put 32,000 in the house. Now, you want me to go ahead and tell everything about it? or? Yeah, well, so we got, how much you find it? How much was it? Negotiation, okay, we talked a little bit about that. I bought it for so. 95000 All right. He loaned me extra thirty to fix it up with, so I'm in it for no cash. I end up spending 32000 with some closing costs and whatever. Quick All as right. I got the house finished, like three days, I mean, really two days, the time we got to sign up, we had multiple offers, of course. I sold it for 189000 I paid uh, 5% sales commission, which 2% come back to my company because I owned a house in a separate company. So Jarman Realty and Construction made 2% and the other company made 3 So the commission was like $9,500. I paid $4,700 worth of closing. So when it's all said and done, I mean, it was it took about 60 days. We, we got a check at the end. We netted. Uh, $48,705. Wow. On a $95,000 house. That is not a bad flip. That was a good deal. Oh. That ain't always like that, but you know, oh. it was a good one. So to kind of wrap up the deep dive, like what lessons can you pull out of this deal that'll help like listeners? Like what can you teach about this that applies? I think you, it's good to have a private money lender lined up if you're out doing business in case you don't have the cash or whatever, because you got to act fast. Mm-hmm. It's just like my house here where I live. I was 
for 13 years, we had a condo at the beach, me and two other guys in Gulf Shores, Alabama on the beach, and we didn't rent it. Every third week was your week. So anyway, I never spent a full week down there in 13 years. So I'd tell you, I like to work. A few days, I'm ready to come home. Yep. Like old David, I, I, I tell you, you got to watch that video where I talk about you, David. But anyway, we, I want to we, see this video. I said that David Green reminds me of me. He likes to work. He likes to get it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm at the beach and this house where I live, they they've been marking it down. The people had already moved. And anyway, long story short, I tell my wife if I can get it for X amount of dollars, I'm gonna buy it. So we we call them and tell them to look, we want it. Made the offer and anyway. And I'm out of town, and he's he, the, the guy that's my private money lender. I called him and said, you know, would you ride by and look at this? Would you do this deal? He calls him back. He said, look, if you don't want it, I'll give you 50000 over what you're looking at right now. So you can act on it fast. But when you've got to go in and wait on all the banks and everything, you're going to miss the deal. Yeah. So line well, you up some outside financing. So I love that tip, Rick, but I want to expand on a little bit here with you and ask okay. you, like, how does somebody like you kind of have that mentality of like, just, you know, it's a good deal. I'm just going to go for it. Like, I don't you don't seem to be stuck in analysis paralysis very long, but a lot of our listeners are. How do you get over just is that just coming with years and years of doing this or is that another mental thing to, to get over? Trying to get beat I perfect? never had it because, like I said, I come from the, you know, the working background. So I, back when I first started, you didn't have home inspectors and whatever. I mean. Well, my very first house that my wife and I bought at 21, we're not in it two weeks. Central heat and air goes out. We're sleeping in the screened-in porch in Alabama in 102-degree mm. heat at night, you know. But you just, but it was a good deal. I knew I could make money on it, so I saved up enough money while I'm doing it to put new central heat and air in it. And we still made money, you know. It, I, I think you've got to – I tell people in my videos, if you're looking at a foreclosure – you want to make your offer neat and clean, mm -hmm. you know, cut out as many, have an inspection, but don't make all these contingencies, this repair, that repair. A lot of times I get a deal because all I tell you is give me a deed and a title insurance and I'll take care of everything else. And I tell them I close in seven days. Well, you know, if you're about a foreclosure, you can't even hardly get an answer in seven days, yeah, yeah. but it gives them that. So uh, you got to make it's that least path of resistance, whatever you're doing. And that's yep. important because you're looking at it from the seller's perspective and you're saying, how easy can I make this for them to just say, okay, fine, you can take it. The minute you jump in and start saying, well, I want this and I want that and I want this too. The natural human response is for them to go do the same thing back. Okay, well, then I want more money and I want this and I want that. And now you get yourself into a complicated mess. And it usually is, it's coming from the place of fear. What if there's some rot on the house? What if one of the mm -hmm. pieces of wood is bad? And when those get out of hand, you can easily create a situation for yourself that's not in your best interest as opposed to, I'm getting a great deal. There's a ton of meat on the bone. Let me make this easy for the seller so that I can close and not make them want to make it more difficult for me to. Exactly. That's what I meant. You said it well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you live in the South, every house that got any agents had termites. So you yeah. can't be scared of that. Yep. I mean, they don't just come and stay there and eat the old house that falls in. They come yes. and they go. It's just, you just got to keep, you know, just the more you learn about construction, houses, and the big thing is financing. I don't care what it is. You, this business is based on financing. Mm, the yeah. more you learn about fi whether you're a real estate agent, a flipper, or buying rental property, you've got to learn financing. 
That's why I use that analogy all the time of like if if you have a tool belt and you have a lot of tools in that tool belt, you can take out a lot of projects. But if you all you have is one tool, you can't do a whole lot. So like build up that mental toolbox of these are the different financing options I have. Here's how hard money works. Here's nine hard money lenders in my area that I built relationships with. Like that, like having those options gives you so many more options on what you can do with real estate. So yeah, if you're somebody listening to this right now and you like don't have any money whatsoever, it doesn't like go out and make those like fill your toolbox right now. You don't need money to fill your toolbox. Start building relationships, start getting an idea of who does what, how you can put things together meeting people yeah that's i bet your neighbor nick saban would agree with that rick he'd tell you i got different tools i can use in different situations that's why he's a good coach well let me tell you this though when i've lived here almost six years i see him coming and going now his wife has been down here talking my wife i tell folks he doesn't run down here and ask me who to play and i don't run up there and ask him about real estate (laughs) but i will tell you this when i bought my house i was remodeling it and everybody, when they found out I lived, you know, he's two houses up. They said, did you ever see him? I said, yeah. He came down here the other day, was talking. I said, look, I don't have time to talk. I got to work. And they <laughs> said, really? I said, no. Because <laughs> I mean, this is an Alabama. This is a football town right here now. Yeah. But football. I like to see him win. Helps my property values. <laughs> you know, just keep winning, you know, because I'm not into all that. They're going to work that into Bigger Pockets uh, Insights. Who's expected yeah. to be the top college football team and how will that help property <laughs> values? You're, everyone's looking at the high school draft class to figure out where they should go invest uh, next. Uh, there you go. But, uh, that's why I tell them I don't care if Auburn wins the state championship, Alabama's good for Alabama. Because I'm into go. music like you, Brandon. I, I was a musician all them mm. years. In fact, I played six nights a week my senior year in high school at Amada Inn. That's I was in my wife's brother's band. That's how I met her. That's awesome. What'd you play? I played mm. guitar, but I, I I went to bluegrass in 1974, mm. and all I've did is acoustic since then. I play the dobro resophonic guitar. Ah, it's awesome. Well, we need more videos of that on your Instagram. That's what I think we need. Okay. <laughs> but before we get there, before people go check out your Instagram, I think it's time to slowly wrap this show up by heading to our famous four. All right, but before we get to the famous four. Let's hear something else you should be listening to as soon as this episode ends. Hey guys, it's Felipe from the Real Estate Rookie Show. Last week, we had Ruben on the show who's got a full-time job, five rental properties, and has figured out how to automate all of it. He also talks about how he took over someone's loan that was in pre-foreclosure, got them money, made himself equity, and is now living in the property and is using his rental income to buy his forever home. What a great show. Make sure you go back and listen. All right, so make sure you check out the episode, and now it's time for our Famous Four. I did it twice, see that? You like it? Guest, Mr. Rick Jarman. Are you ready for the Famous Four? Can you handle this? I think so. I hope so. All right, number one, current favorite real estate-related book. Current favorite real estate-related book. You know, it'd probably be the Burr Method, even though I hadn't read it yet. (laughs) (laughs) You You recommended enough. The reviews alone were enough to make you call it your favorite book without reading it. Yeah, well, you know, I hadn't read a lot. Like I said, about last year or something, I've been working on some YouTube and Instagram, learning mm-hmm. all this stuff. In fact, somebody asked me what's my favorite. I got to look in one of my books. Was, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and, and Donald Trump wrote a book together. Mm-hmm. And I got to look at that was 13 years ago. So yeah. I read a lot, but I just don't read a lot of real estate. But it would probably be the Burr method. I hadn't read it yet, but I know it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know you wrote a good book. That's right. 
Well, it's because that's a good title, and Brandon came up with the title, so that doesn't <laughs> right. tell you guys something about marketing. <laughs> Brandon, I'm going to buy your books, too, now, buddy. Oh, I've you better. Looking. You, you got to buy one of his coffee mugs. Get one of those Squawk Like a Bird. Squawk, squawk Like a Bird. There you go. All the, the profits go to the Hawaii Humane Society. Is that right, Brandon? That okay. is true. They do. Biggerpockets.com slash shirt. It should be slash mug, but it is slash shirt, and you can buy yourself a shirt or a mug with Stuart the Bird on it. All right, anyway. and there's a very funny video on Brandon's Instagram of him trying to make a video and Stuart, well, Stuart. flying in the middle of it, coming <laughs> home and just like hanging all over his shirt. It's I yeah. was laughing out loud, like it. Yeah, you know, this is an LOL mean laugh out loud. It does, but so you now, never do. Now you gotta we say never do. LLOL, like literally laughing out loud because we just put LOL for nothing. Don't get me going on abbreviations. All right, so do you have a favorite business book, Rick? You know, I do. This is when, like I told you, I went through some hard times in the late nineties. You know, I went from being able to borrow millions of dollars to where I couldn't get a $19.99 pager finance. Mm. So it was tough. And I read a book. It's by Trammell Crow, Master Builder. Master and Builder. And he, I don't know if you're familiar like with the Lincoln mm. properties and Trammell Crow properties and all these things. In fact, I recommend this book on the first podcast I was ever on. The guy went and said, man, that book's $80. Cause you know, it come a lot, but it's like a textbook on most. Mm. But what he does, he had all these different partners that none of them were related. He was like a spider in the center and it's like a spider web. And like, maybe I'm doing something with Brandon. I'm doing something with David and it's, it, they have nothing to do with each other, you know? And so I started that cause I had accountants and lawyers and, even private people that knew I knew how to make money and what to do. So I do business where we set up companies and that's how I came back, you know, cause I could take my money I was making and buy rentals and uh, half of something's better than nothing. You know, mm-hmm. they would put up the money. I'd be the talent. And it reached a point. A couple of them said, man, you don't need us no more. I guess we're not going to do business. Said, no, man, you were there when I needed you. I keep doing it. In fact, one of my buddies who's an appraiser, he and I have been doing stuff together since 1987. You know, I built his office. I did a video about it and stuff. But today, the only partners I have are my son and my accountant, who's also my nephew. He and I own four houses together. But working with partners, I did a couple videos how I did that, and it's, it's good. That book helped me lay out some groundwork. Very cool. I had not heard of that one. So we know you love to work, which is awesome because I do too. So when you when you love working, it doesn't feel like work. Uh, right. But what about what about hobbies other than playing bluegrass guitar and and hanging out with Nick Saban teaching about football? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you know I did a video as I'm always telling you. I told folks it says I don't. People ask me what I do for fun. Well, I do. I played music. I don't hunt and fish. I tell them, but I do hunt them George Washington. So that's uh, okay. That's about the only hunting I do, you know. It's, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, I'd love to do family things. I love to travel. You know, of course, I told my wife, I said, here we're in a position we're ready to really start traveling because that was one reason we sold our condos where we could travel, and it was like three years ago. And then, you know, got grandkids always doing stuff. We couldn't get down there because of grandkids because I got four grandkids, 15, 10, 5, and less than two years old. So I want to travel now. We're in the pandemic. Now yeah, we do is travel. just you know, stuck here at the house. Yep. But uh-huh. hunting George Washington's—that's a good hobby. That is, that is a hobby. <laughs> All right, number four. 
Rick, what do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who fail or they never get started or they just give up? No quit mentality. Hmm. You know, you know, you just can't quit. You just don't give up. You know, it's like those saying you might lose the battle, but you got to win the war. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, because as long as you're learning from your losses, then they're not really losses. You're getting one step closer to winning. I will tell you this, Kevin, you know, sent me that little list of stuff to fill out. Here's how old school I am. My office manager was going out of town and our scanner was messed up. She's going on vacation and he sent me the list. I'm thinking, I'm just going to have to handwrite it and I have my wife write it because I tell folks, I can't spell, but I can add like hell. So I had her to write it out for me and I took pictures of it and sent it to Kevin. But one of the examples or something I was afraid y'all was going to ask is, where do you see your career in 10 years, I'm thinking, well, hell, I'll be 75 years old. I don't know where it'll be. <laughs> Hope I'm doing what I'm doing now. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, last question of the day. People want to know more. Where's your preferred place for them to find out more about you? Instagram, real estate, old school. Just uh, come and follow me. I try to throw out a video, like I said, four or five, five, six a week. And, uh, I don't do any mentoring. I just try to share it through my videos. There you go. Very and cool. I don't want nothing from anybody just to come follow. I ain't trying to. I tell folks now, when I write me a book, I'm going to try to sell it now. I'll be like <laughs> you big timers then. <laughs> Rick, if you write a book, I will buy your book and I will tell Absolutely. everyone else to buy it. It's actually my favorite real real estate book, guys. Uh, Rick's uh, Rick's new book is actually my favorite book of all time. I haven't, yeah, read, I haven't it read it yet. yet I but just I can know tell you right now. It's my, it's favorite, my book. favorite real estate. I'm gonna say every time from now on, somebody asks me my favorite book is, I'm gonna say Rick's new book. Oh, <laughs> Rick, you're gonna need to give us a name pretty soon. Here. Is it gonna be called Real Estate Old School? Yeah, I think so. I there think we go. So. Now, and, now you have to think about one. like maybe after you buy after you buy your first piece of property, you know, or something. Yep. With things, I want it to be really prepare you for it. I love it. Right on. Do it, man. Well, with that said. Uh, we're going to get out of here. By the way, Rick, and for anybody else who cares, I once wrote a, or I did a podcast for another, like for a guest podcast for somebody else on how to write a book in a hundred days. We'll put a link to it in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 393. If you want to learn my tips for writing a book, anybody listening who wants to write a book, you can learn how it's worked for well I for came me. to Brandon when I was going to write my first mm. book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, and you gave me incredibly good advice. It was oh. very, very helpful. Well, well that letter I sent, the first one or the second one, it mm-hmm. got lost when I was filling out all that. I told her, I said, now, Brandon, I got an idea for a book, man. I'd like to talk with you. There we go. <laughs> now now I'm going to send you a podcast, and you're going to go listen to it. Like, now I you know can what a turn podcast anything is. into an analogy. Brandon can turn anything into a book. <laughs> well, Brandon, I mean, <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to get into the competitive eating space and blow Joey Chestnut away how fast it. you can eat, and then write a book on <laughs> how to eat fast. Fastest eater in the world. <laughs> Well, mm-hmm. I want to say this, guys, like this for me, it's been like being on the Jimmy Fallon show or whatever, because this, <laughs> I, you know, I'm still a goal setter. And, you know, like I told y'all, y'all, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, the bigger pockets is. And uh, thank you for making my goal come true of being able to be on here. I have really enjoyed it. And I tell you, it's, I recommend y'all to everybody all the time. It's awesome, well, man. Thank you. It was great thank meeting you today, Rick. It was great. I've enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, dude. All right. And that was our show with Rick Jarman. I guess, David, you want to take us out? Yeah. This was a great time, guys. Make sure you go check out Rick's Instagram page, Real Estate Old School. He is Beardy Brandon. You can watch Stuart the Lovebird climbing all over him. 
<laughs> I am David Green 24. Also, if somebody can find that video Rick's talking about, tag me in it so I can watch. Apparently, he's got a video to me, which is very cool. You're the first person. Rick, you're the closest thing I got to a groupie out there, man. Don't ever change. <laughs> I need guys like you in my life. This is David Green for Brandon. Best book I never read, Turner. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.